I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everybody, welcome to Thank God for David Attenborough. My name is Ben Elwood and my guest today is Dr. Matt Padula. Matt is a protein chemist and a senior lecturer at the University of Technology in Sydney. And we hung out talking all things cells, division, DNA and a whole bunch of other stuff as we watched Sir David Attenborough's Life on Earth, The Infinite Variety. Were cells in the microscopic life always something that you were obsessed with? No, I actually started out as an organic chemist. So my my thing is I went to university to learn how to blow stuff up. (laughs) Um, And then I found out that blowing stuff up is actually really easy. And uh, ASIO is going to be at my doorstep. And then, so you know, what, what do you what do you do that's complicated? And and what's complicated is actually analysing biological molecules. I'm Dr. Matt Padula from the University of Technology, Sydney. I work in the Faculty of Science and I analyse biomolecules. We use the instrument. And we're like, you know, oh, okay. There's the mass of that molecule. How oh. much is there of that particular mass? If I smash it and then measure the masses of the fragments, can I identify what it is? So basically, I've got a, a very, very expensive incredibly sensitive kitchen balance. Right, right, right. And, and obviously yeah. this is happening on levels that are yeah. impossible for anyone to... Yeah. You can't see the molecules, no. <laughs> you know, like I could show you protein, right? Yeah. I could go downstairs, get some milk out of the fridge, precipitate out the protein in there, and I could say, see that white fluffy stuff? That's protein, and I can show you that. But the amounts that we work on, you suspend them in liquid and you're like, there's clear liquid in that tube. I know there's molecules in there. Well, I have faith that there's molecules in there. <laughs> and the machine tells me there's molecules in there because I get a signal, you yeah. know, but a lot of it is actually, you never see what you're working on. It's, it, that's it's the case of, with a lot of science, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even with microscopy, the technology is astounding. Like now they bend the laws of physics to do super resolution microscopy, which is like nanometer. How do they bend the laws of physics? I'm not even going to try. It's just, it's, yeah. Like, because I've only come to the microscopic world kind of in the last maybe year. Yeah. It's quite 
overwhelming. And when you oh, say yeah. when you when you drop a sentence like, "Oh yeah, we just uh, augment the laws of physics" or whatever, no, yeah, like, yeah, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's kind sorry. of existentially devastating to hear. Because in my mind, as a luddite, it's like, "Oh, the laws of physics, the laws of physics, right? You can't just play with the laws of physics to <laughs> yeah. see really small things. It's bending them, not breaking them." What is a cell? The unit of life. A cell is essentially a closed bag that is permeable and can talk to the outside world. Uh-huh. The most basic replicating form has to be a cell because you need that bag to be able to stop the important stuff from floating away. Uh-huh. You know, you need energy sources, carbon sources, you need DNA, you need proteins and all of those kind of things. And if your replicative machinery has to go looking for those things, replication is far less likely to occur. Okay, so, yeah. it's, it's, so it, it's, it's creating a self-sustaining system that can then operate and replicate itself? Not self-sustaining because it's not a completely closed system. Most cells don't produce everything that they need. There are particular amino acids that we can't make, and so we have to derive those from food sources. You've got to be able to let certain things in and certain things out, but those are tightly controlled. Is it almost like there's kind of toll gates all over the cell membrane? that's exactly. It's it's almost inconceivable, and I think the only way I can wrap my head around it is to put it into, like, metaphors of toll gates and city centres and all this kind of stuff. Because, I mean, mean, what is the scale of a cell is what? Oh, look, a typical bacterial cell is about one micrometer in diameter. So that's metre, milli is 10 to the minus three, micro is 10 to the minus six. So inconceivable. Yeah. You, well, you can see it with a mic. You can see it with a light microscope reasonably easily, yeah. but you can't see the internals of it. How many cells make up a human being, approximately? Oh God, I've trillions, known. right? I've, uh, yeah, a lot. And they're uh, all, and every, every single one of these cells is doing its own thing. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it, each one of those cells is doing its own thing. <laughs> under the influence of all of the cells in its immediate surroundings and Mm. under the influence of chemical messages that are secreted in other parts of the body. So, like, hormones are a good example of that, where they're released and they traverse through your bloodstream and they end up at a certain place and they cause a signalling. Dissemination of cancer is the same kind of thing where a lot of cancer cells release microparticles that float around through your bloodstream and can randomly interact with a cell and can cause that cell to become cancerous. Right. That's how cancer spreads. It can. All of this, uh, it actually hurts my brain. It's just so... And then to think, you know, amongst all that, there's trillions and trillions of non-us cells yeah. hanging out with us. Yeah, exactly. I mm. mean, there's more foreign cells in us is that than true? us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, okay, I read that in a Bill Bryson book, and he was saying, um, so from our perspective, they make up quite a large part of us. Or yeah. from their perspective, we make, make up quite a small part of them. Yeah, that's, it's, it is not... <laughs> We're talking about a blow to the ego. Yeah. We basically live in symbiosis with these bacteria and other organisms that live within mm. us, and they give us the ability to digest certain kinds of food, but they also produce chemical messages. Um, there is also an f- increasing evidence for effect on on mood and memory and things like that. So, yeah, each one of us is our own ecosystem with our own unique population of foreign organisms that live inside us. You know, like your microbiome is going to be different to mine because the food you consume and where you live and the environment that you're in will all be different.
the ultraviolet light, together with heat and electrical and radioactive discharges, brought about many chemical changes in the waters. Complex carbon compounds were formed, including amino acids, the building blocks of protein. For millions of years, the chemical soup thickened and changed. Possibly some compounds were added to it from outer space. Do we have a good idea of how life started? There is some work that was done where a number of scientists took what they believed would be the ingredients that were available at that time. Uh Very simple hydrocarbon molecules, organic carbon molecules, and and things like that, put them into a beaker and then drove an enormous amount of voltage and current through them, and they were able to get these things to then transform into higher order molecules. Right. So the idea is there. I don't believe anyone has actually gone the whole way of the experiment and said, well, okay, if I keep doing this, do I start to make something that Uh self-replicates? I don't think that's been done. They're probably trying to do it, but I think that the specific set of circumstances that occurred occurred over such a long time Mm. frame, and again, by chance. A lot of what we're talking about comes back to the fact that if you wait long enough, a particular thing will happen. So for a scientist to devote every day of their life for the best part of 50 years trying to force this to happen, whereas when it happened in the first place, it was probably over the course of 100,000, 200,000, a million years, Mm. and then it just happens Mm -hmm. to get the right combination of things happening and all of a sudden you get something spontaneous that then propagates and keeps going. And so is the thinking that it was, you know, chemicals floating in the ocean and then the right ones start to combine? So it would would have been the chemicals first and then the membrane? I guess it could happen either way because getting a membrane to make itself and then make that self into a ball, that's actually not that hard. That, That can happen spontaneously. It's the part of all of the replicative machinery now being inside that and having all of the fats and molecules that are needed to make those two balls. On on a a, a basic level, though, what what is happening when a cell divides? Like, what what, is there a mechanism that kicks it off? Like, oh, it's time to divide. And what's going on? The time to divide is normally, is there enough nutrients floating around to allow myself to divide? Am I going to be able to survive? Because you can't just split in two and make two balls that are half the size because it will kill itself. It will die. Just because there's not enough stuff. Yeah, there's some kind of mechanism that says, I'm too small, I'm going to die. Self-terminate. Yep. So at the time to divide, Mm. firstly, you replicate your DNA. So you've got two copies of the DNA. You also start manufacturing things so that you can increase the volume of the cell. So you make more cell wall to make the cell physically bigger to be able to accommodate these two enormous pieces of DNA. And then there is a structure that is formed at the center of the cell, which then constricts the cell wall down, kind of like if you wrap a rubber band around your finger and you'll see it constricting and constricting. 
this ring gets tighter and tighter and tighter until eventually it just pinches the two cells in half. Wow. And you and you replicate it. It seems yeah. to me that it, the trick of splitting in half is more insane and complicated than mm. the initial act of yeah. just getting together. At the university where I work, there are still numerous groups within the university who sole mission in life is to analyze how bacteria properly replicate and divide. So there's still plenty of work to be done on on that front. It's remarkable that something that tiny could be so impenetrable and still such a mystery. Oh, yeah. I mean, the classic example in my career is mycoplasma, which is probably the smallest self-replicating organism known. It'd be like, yep, this will be easy. Yeah, right. No. (laughs) And if you can't work out how something that simple works, Mm. how are you going to deal with something like, you know, E. coli, which is 4,600 genes, you know, trying to figure out what each one of them does, not individually, but then in concert. So it appears that this tiny creature is composed of a committee of small ones. And indeed, many people now believe that it was by some form of collaboration between primitive cells that such organisms came into existence. Having only recently kind of started reading about cells, I had this idea of the you know, the the arc of life and where it started and where we are now. And the thing that's blown my mind the most is that it was, what, two and a half billion years where yeah. it was just cells? For a very, very considerable amount of time, yeah. it was just single-celled organisms. Then somewhere along the line, one cell divides into two and you get to a point where those two cells stay together because it's more advantageous uh-huh. to stay together. Whether that advantage is being able to better use resources or better able to survive in a hostile environment. The driving thing of evolution is not the fact that you get changes, but that those changes stick because they're advantageous. Now, when you get multicellular organisms, these things start to talk to each other. So they're continuously transmitting chemicals between each other. Those chemicals tell the other cell oh, you should do something. You should turn on a particular gene or a nutrient source turns up and the other cell says, hey, we've got this now. You need to turn that on so that we can use this. So we're we're talking about incredible depths of complexity. Oh, yeah. And is that why it took two and a half billion years for them to start clumping together and form? Because when you think about the arc of like 650 million years for all multicellular organisms Mm. as opposed to 2.5 billion years of, you know, little bags of chemicals, is it just that it took such a dense amount of time to work out all these microprocesses and once they were all in place, everything was ready to kick off? I think the first thing that happens is due to probability, uh-huh. okay? This is, I, I, I love Douglas Adams. <laughs> um, nothing is impossible. Yeah. It is just highly improbable. And so why did this take so long to evolve? I think it's just the event that needed to happen Mm -hmm. was relatively unlikely and therefore it takes a long time. And how many times did it have to happen before it stuck? Yeah, of course. It wasn't just a one-off. It could have happened multiple times and yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Does this stuff still blow your mind? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's really yeah. Um, yeah when you start breaking down all the um, the coincidences that needed to happen for us to be sitting here having this conversation, it starts to hurt the brain. But this is why people need to realise that life is precious. Yes, because the actual likelihood of all of these things happening is so stupidly infinitesimally low mm. that you should just be so happy about the fact that you exist at all. Is life inevitable? Like, is, do you think it's an inevitable law of the universe, given the right circumstances and the right ingredients? I don't know. If it was inevitable, you would expect it to evolve multiple times in the universe. And so if it was inevitable, I would have thought that we would have found it somewhere by now. It, it really does depend on time and time frames. The things that you're observing out in space, you know, hundreds of light years away, (laughs) happened hundreds of years and thousands of years ago. So, you know, is it the fact that it has probably happened and we just don't know about it Mm. because the information hasn't come from where it is to where we are? The whole reason that we're going to Mars is to try and test this theory, um, is to actually see if we can uncover um, you know, other s- single-celled organisms mm. and things like that to actually prove the point that the evolution of life is inevitable, that it, it is going to drive towards that point. I feel like we're at a stage now where even if they did find bacterial life on Mars, I'm mm. not sure that would jazz the wider population. I feel like it would just be one more news in the feed and everyone would be like, oh, yeah, and just kind of get on with it. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know whether it would change the average person's view on the nature of the universe, the nature of themselves, you know, whether or not we should evolve into a, a different kind of society. I, mm. I don't think it would, yeah, I, the, the finding of bacteria, I don't think people would all of a sudden go, oh, my God, we have to start protecting X, Y, and Z. Nah. But at the moment, I don't know if we've got enough evidence sure. to support that one way or the other. Does your instinct um, say one way or the other? I, I'm not a religious man, but... If we are the highest evolved form of life in the universe, mm. I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it really feels like we're not even into our adolescence yet as a species. It, yeah. You know, we're, we're still very much driven by quite primitive forces. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. There's, um, there, there's, a, there's an ideal of what we could be. Yeah. You know, we could be masters of the universe and we could be, mm. you know, yeah. live in symbiosis with all things, but yeah. it, it does very much feel we're still stuck in a tribalistic mentality. Yeah, unfortunately, I've got a very jaded view of society, which is uh, essentially that the majority of people's decisions are driven by greed or cowardice. 100%. Um, And and I think that that's terrible and wrong. Because, you know, the evolution of an organism from a molecular level is different to the evolution of free-thinking people uh, in their thoughts and their beliefs and and what they do. All our nerves and neurons and things like that have given us the ability to have these kinds of conversations, have these kinds of thoughts, these feelings, and the acknowledgement that we should do better. Mm. The problem is that the majority of people don't seem to do anything about it. So, look, I would really hope that there is something else in the universe other than us, <laughs> you know, and hopefully they're not as destructive as we are. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. Like, maybe maybe it's just my kind of, uh, you know, cosmology that I've pieced together, but it mm. seems, it just seems logical that given the right circumstances, the right temperatures and the right chemical ingredients that it would just 
kind yeah. of roll out like this. And the appropriate length of time. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, the likelihood of something happening increases the longer you wait. The next problem is is not just life actually evolving, it's actually evolving into a state where it can do something yeah. where it can actually, you know, communicate with each other in a way to exchange various types of information, but then evolve to a point where they can communicate off-world. Um, so maybe that hasn't happened yet. Or, 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 or even assume that they'd want to. Exactly. You yeah. know, it's um, there's that whole problem of, you know, we don't try to communicate with lower what we perceive to be lower life forms. Yeah. So I think if there was a highly advanced civilization mm. looking at us or slap-fighting each other yeah. over the most minor bullshit, I'm yeah. not sure that they'd want to well, engage it's, with us. Yeah, it's like the Star Trek view of the universe where the Federation will not engage with a planet unless they have achieved warp drive technology, <laughs> which means that they can actually travel to other galaxies. And yeah. unless they've reached that point, nah, we're just going to leave you alone yeah. and let you do what you do. Um, and, and you're probably right, you know. Are we going to end up at a level of technology where all of a sudden they turn up at our front door? You know, hopefully, well, hopefully it's not the Vogons turning up to construct a hyperspace bypass. Sometimes there is a mistake, a mutation. These caused variations in the first cells, and natural selection sorted them out. Those that were as well or better suited to their environment survived, the rest died. And so, over tens of millions of years, a variety of bacteria-like organisms developed, thrived, and invaded new environments on Earth. Evolution had truly begun. begun, 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 begun. As we're sitting here, there are constant things trying to assault us. Don't confirm all my worst fears, yeah, man. No, but, you know, there, there, there's solar radiation, <laughs> yeah. there's COVID, there's antibiotic-resistant bacteria and, and so mm. on and so forth. Mm. So mm. it is really a constant battle for survival. And so if you can adapt a strategy to keep yourself alive, mm. that then is going to propagate the species. Now, COVID's a good example where at the moment – we don't have to evolve within ourselves a mechanism to deal with COVID. Mm. All we need to do is mask up mm. and clean our hands and things like that. Yeah. And and and, ho- and then, you know, the probability of you getting it actually goes down. But then you have the whole idea of vaccines where tell, you basically tell your body, here's a weapon to protect yourself. Mm. Then you, you are able to persist in the population. It happens incredibly slowly in people in higher organisms because our replication time is so long. Yeah. Okay, so like generationally, it, it's every 30-odd years. Mm. So if you're talking about it from a cellular level where a mutation happens, a change happens that confers advantage to a person, you know, mm. so say say all of a sudden I'm sitting here and one of one of my neurons um, develops the ability for telepathy. Okay, <laughs> now that one neuron by itself is probably not going to be enough for me to be telepathic with anyone. Yep. But if I then pass that down to my offspring, and then that then multiple those number of neurons in their brain multiplies. Yep 
probably in a thousand generations we might have telepathic people. Fantastic. Okay? So that's that's <laughs> and, and and would that therefore confer an advantage of you know being being able to read other people's minds? Would that actually confer an advantage? Probably not. Actually, probably not. You'd probably, you'd probably drive yourself insane. Um, you, you, yeah. Or, I can't handle the faces of people walking down the street, let alone their thoughts. Yeah. Are you kidding me? But the th- I guess when you strip, you come back to a, a more simple example, antimicrobial resistant bacteria mm. is, is a much better example of this where you have one bacteria that is able to take up something from another bacteria. And this happens in the soil all the time. This is not something that necessarily happens in hospitals. It's happening right out there in the garden where... A, a bacteria dies, releases its content, another bacteria is able to take up that content, and there may be something there that confers resistance to an antibiotic. Sure. It then has an advantage, and therefore it is able to replicate itself to create you know, thousands of these, because the generation of time of bacteria is like 30 minutes. So they're, oh. able, they're able to then outcompete everything around them. And so this advantageous thing really rapidly gets put through the the population. It's just the time scale. But sexual reproduction is a bigger driver of evolution because it allows mistakes. Mm -hmm. It allows things to evolve because things don't get copied properly or the the code gets changed, which then may confer some kind of an advantage Mm. or some kind of new thing that the offspring is able to do. It's not to be confused with the act of sex, which is, you know, yes, it's an exchange of genetic information, but I would argue that, at least in some life forms, that's the lowest priority for doing it. Us and dolphins. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Of course, yeah. yeah. So the great great advantage of... Sexual reproduction over asexual reproduction is that the great diversity of life yes. that exists right now. It wouldn't exist without that. Yeah, you you wouldn't get the diversity of organisms and things like that without sexual reproduction because it introduces that option of mistake. So when you talk about like antimicrobial resistant bacteria, yes, is the only reason that they are evolving quickly the fact that they're replicating in such mass numbers? Yes, that's part of it, but. There are other ways of acquiring resistance which have got nothing to do with replication. Right. So you can acquire resistance through the distribution of plasmids. Right. Where what, are, what are plasmids? Plasmids are just basically little circles of DNA right. that carry specific genes on them. Right. It's kind of like a virus, but it is just the DNA itself. It can confer resistance. So you can get those things transferring between different species. That's more likely to spread resistance than simple mutation. You can almost consider the plasmid as a book. One bacteria releases this plasmid out into the world and another bacteria comes and reads the book and says, okay, well, well, that's interesting. I'll I'll do this. A lot of that stuff you find occurs in sewage treatment plants where there's enormous amounts of bacteria and there's enormous amounts of antibiotics and things like that coming from us Uh into the sewerage system. That all accumulates into this huge density and particular bacteria in the course of their replication release these plasmids that can then get taken up by other bacteria. And then in heavy, heavy rain events, when these things flood over, they get released out into the environment. They're not supposed to be, but they can be. The way you describe it, it almost sounds like the most rudimentary basic beginnings of culture. Yes. Is it? Oh, sorry, what do you mean by culture? Well, just like the spreading of information in, an, in, in, an, in a way that is external to it's, the self. It's just not deliberate. 
it's it's yeah, you know okay, it's yeah. you know the, the these bacteria are just releasing these things as a normal part yeah. of their cell cycle yeah. um, and and the way that they just do things. I mean, they're not sitting there and going mm, a bit bored now. <laughs> think I'll I'll think I'll release this plasmid into the world and wipe out half the world human population. But the term is basically public goods, where a particular bacteria for some reasons that we don't understand, decides that it is going to sacrifice itself to release the contents of itself out into the broader environment <laughs> and create these public goods. It's actually, it's an observed phenomena where the, these cells, just for reasons that we don't understand, they just puff up, bang, and just release their contents and, out. And the point is... And the surrounding bacteria can take those contents up and do whatever they need to do Whoa. with them. You know? Is humanity going to be in a uh, war for the rest of time against the microbes and the bacteria in this uh, kind of oh, this escalating arms race? There is a really good statistic out there that uh, by 2050, more people are going to die from antimicrobial resistant bacteria than they are from every other human disease. Whoa. That's how much of a problem it's becoming because the, the resistance to frontline drugs is becoming more and more and more. Yeah. Um, and the pipeline for generating new drugs has basically trickled away to almost nothing because it takes millions upon millions of dollars and about 20 years worth of research and clinical trial and things like that to bring these things to market. What a lot of smart people are doing, and the drug companies are actually part of this, is they've gone back through these libraries of compounds mm. that they've got, like millions of compounds. And because of the um, the evolution of uh, what are called high-throughput screening tools, what they can do is, within a few days or a few weeks, test all of these compounds that they've got sitting in these libraries against these bacteria that are turning up, um, these antimicrobial-resistant bacteria, and to hopefully repurpose something into um, something that can be used. Because a lot of these drugs, um, they've already got approval for use. A lot of right. them have already been through clinical trials and right. things like that. So that's a quick way of, of doing it. The other thing that that we're doing, like it's you know, a lot of my research is into antimicrobial resistance, and what we're trying to do is actually look at if you've got these elements within the bacteria, it's not just about having the element there. What else is going on in the cell, right, and can yeah. we target other things that people may not have considered? Earth did the microscopic cells collaborate to build this complex and beautiful structure? Some religious people will maintain that it is the work of God, and that is all that need be said. Some scientists will claim that it's only a matter of time before we will provide a very much more detailed explanation than that. Why do you think so many people are content with God made it as an explanation for reality? People, people need something to get them through their daily lives. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so I, I think that for some people, being able to have a simpler explanation of God made it is comforting and convenient and doesn't require any other kind of thought. Mm. One of the most annoying things that I find is that the vast majority of people don't actually understand the bag of chemicals that they spend their entire lives in. 
that they don't understand the reactions that happen and things like that. It's yeah. like you know the whole thing about l- weight loss. Losing weight is very very simple. It, you know, expend energy. Yeah. How do you expend energy? Exercise. It it's really is as, as simple as that. And if people <laughs> actually understood the underlying chemical reactions that take fat deposits and turn it into energy that you can then use and therefore that fat deposit is gone because you're breathing it out in carbon dioxide in water, which, you know, that's the ultimate, um, the, the, where it ultimately ends up. When, when you haven't even got that understanding, being able to say the tree was created by God mm. is, is convenient. Yeah. Oh, no, I think it is. <laughs> and, I think, and I think it's an avoidance of having to wrestle with your own, <laughs> your own insignificance a little bit. Because when you actually start meditating on these yeah. swathes of time, it's uh, at the Natural History Museum in New York, you walk down a spiral staircase and it's got the entire history of the universe kind of um, printed on the side of okay. the staircase. And it's, you know, this is the Big Bang at the beginning and right down the bottom is a single strand of human hair and it just says the width of this hair is all of human history (laughs) you know it's I mean I can understand why to some well to a lot of people it's not pleasant to think about that yeah I guess so I mean if you're yeah if you are worried about the time frame of your existence sure I guess the solution to that is make every day count, Mm. you know, and I think that a lot of people, myself included, who have had like huge major health scares where they're staring down the barrel and going, yeah, I could have died. Really? Um, They look on things a little bit differently and go, yeah, okay, cool. I'm alive today. Let's make the most of that. Yeah. Let's make the most of that. Let's make the most of that. I mean, I'm not even thinking, you know, oh, I wonder if I'm going to get to 90 years old. No, I'm thinking, am I going to wake up tomorrow morning? Those kind of things. Yeah. So um, it definitely changes your perspective. And I, I think that I, I think not enough people get that shock out of life where they're basically, where it is, holy crap, it's precious. I should make something of it. Yeah. And going and working in a cubicle every day may not be the best use of my time, Um, you know, or it's the best use of your time to make the cash that allows you to, to do, do the things, things you want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Uh, I know a couple of people where <laughs> cancer might have been the best thing that ever happened to them. Really? Uh, yeah, so basically I um, – it's just over a year since I got diagnosed with bladder cancer. Wow. So I, you know, had had surgery, had my bladder removed. I've – I had um, – they took 60 centimetres of my intestine and made me a new bladder. And With the intestine? I, yep. Wow. They made me a new bladder, which is plumbed into the top of my ureter. <laughs> wow. Um, and I had six months' worth of chemotherapy to the point where I've got constant neuropathy in my, my hands and feet, like I've got pins and needles all the time. But uh, as of January and as of the last scan, which was two or three weeks ago, I don't have cancer. Hey, so, fantastic. Um, well, it's basically living three monthly CT scans at the moment. Right. For um, the next five years? Yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but when it first got diagnosed, you and me, you know, being in, in the field, started looking up everything that I could possibly get my hands on to read and so on and so forth. Right. And the prognosis was, Jesus, Matt, you're going to die, you know. But how, how old are you? 47. Oh, jeez. But I'm still here. Yeah. You know, so, and, and now it's a case of, and it definitely does make you reevaluate things. Like, before... And I still say this, I've got a very elaborate hobby that I just happen to get paid for. So going to work for me is fun. Um, but it definitely <laughs> has made me reevaluate the amount of hours that I put in to that very elaborate hobby yeah. um, and whether I want to spend those hours 
in a, what I believe is a more productive manner um, uh-huh. with family and, and friends and, and doing other things rather than just working myself into the ground. These ciniates are among the larger single-cell creatures, just visible to the naked eye. They're large and mobile and actively hunt for their food. Do you think it's like anything to be one of those guys? Like, do you think that they're having an experience of life beyond just reacting to stimulus? I guess you could say. That. Yeah, I guess you could ask the same of us, really. Well, I mean, I, th- I think you could say that of anything that we don't think of as sentient. I mean, people talk about plants all the time. You know, do plants have feelings? Do plants have thoughts and things like that? I mean, there's no mechanism that we would recognise that says that. But then, you know, our, our understanding is still limited. Yeah. I guess the question is, you know. Do, do plants have the capacity for memory and things like that? I don't think we really understand from a, a chemical point of view how memory actually works. Mm. So, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we can think back to what we did this morning, but I couldn't tell you what chemical reactions have been instigated to form that memory. Yeah. Now, the component chemicals in plants are the same. Sugars are sugars. The building blocks of proteins are the same. You know, DNA is the same regardless of what organism that you go to. A lot of the chemical reactions that occur are the same. Some slight differences in the specifics, but the components, the mechanisms that are within these cells are the same. And so if you could eventually figure out what is it that allows you to have memory and look at that series of chemical reactions or whatever it is, you could go back into plants or something else and go, do those mechanisms exist there? It's just a matter of, it's incomplete understanding. Yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
The coral organisms are tiny and simple. And yet they grow on such a scale that they may well have been the first signs of life that could be detected from outer space. So it may well be that if a passing astronaut came this way several hundred million years ago, he might have noticed in the deep blue seas of the Earth a few mysterious, beautiful shapes in turquoise and guessed that life on Earth had really started. How old is he now? 95. 95. Wow. 95. 95. Oh, he's still doing it. I know. He released Green Planet when he's dancing around in the snow and rowing down a river in a rowboat, like, oh, with a big smile on his face. The only other person who's analogous to that, and it's a completely different feel, but it's still like that childlike wonder and ridiculousness, is um, is Shatner. He's he's 90 and he's still, (laughs) you know, he still has that childlike wonder and lunacy and things like that. Admittedly, his stuff's a little bit more left field yes, to be yes, generous. Yes. David's my favorite person that I don't have direct contact with, you know, in terms mm. of influence on my life. Like there's no musician or artist or anything that's had that kind of impact. I think there's a huge chunk of the population that would probably agree with yeah. that. But then it'd be interesting to put those people on the spot and say, okay, when was the last time you watched one of these documentaries and are you walking the walk? Yeah. You know, so. Oh, look, I think these documentaries are super popular and, and obviously people love them, but I just don't know how many people truly give themselves over to yep. them. Watch them more than once. I mean, most people I know watch Marvel movies a hell of a lot more than they watch these documentaries. Yes. It's interesting going back and watching this one to see how dramatically the arc of these documentaries have changed over the years. Like, obviously, this one is a lot more slow-paced and meditative, and there's a really clear narrative. The ones these days, the footage is just unbelievable. It's Mm. spectacular. I mean, there was one a couple of years ago, um, Seven Worlds, One Planet, and I I mean, I came close to having having a nervous breakdown watching it. It was was too much. Mm. There were scenes of walruses falling off cliffs on mass. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm doing everything I can do. I, I don't eat meat. I don't, I don't have kids. I don't drive a car. I'm, I'm racked with guilt all the time. Mm. I get that it's important to show this, but I, I don't know. I'm at a point in my life where I don't need to see an orangutan wandering around a decimated Borneo forest. Yep. Certainly, an interesting point as to how. How do you actually communicate things to people? How do you actually wake people up to what the heck is going on mm-hmm. without driving them away? Yeah. Um, and, and I think I don't think that it well, it's quite evident that that balance hasn't necessarily been struck. How do you appeal to the largest group of people without alienating them? Yeah, um, and without and without the blame, I think that's a thing that people mm. push up against a lot. You know, this. Yeah. You know, hey, hey, BP's dumping oil in the ocean. Don't tell me to turn my lights off. I'm I'm the drop in the ocean compared to what's really going on. Well, but it's and it's the thing. It's the whole hey boomer thing. Yeah. You know, good. You know, it is kind of like yeah. You know, I've, I've been watching that as a you know, what am I Gen X? Yeah, I guess I'm the I'm the generation after the boomers. Mm. Um, where where you kind of look at this and go, yeah, that that's it's wonderful that. Um, that all of this blame is being apportioned to that particular generation 
to a point it's probably warranted. But yeah. is it going to get us anywhere? Well, no, and uh, and it's a little bit hypocritical when you're tweeting it on your iPhone that's full of conflict minerals. So I just feel like, you know, yeah. <laughs> unless you're living in a shack in the middle of nowhere and weaving your clothes together with silkworm silk, you know, we're all complicit in this mess mm. and you've got to figure out how to, A, square yourself with it, mm. try and do the least amount of damage possible, but also not be on your, you know, you ride on your high horse for long enough and you yeah. will be undone as a hypocrite in the end. Yeah, exactly. But I think, look, it's, it's, it's interesting um, for something uh, for something that is, what are we now, 40, 42 years old, you know, um, that the, the information that, I, that is in there is still current. You know, it, it's kind of refreshing watching back on it and, you know, th- this is kind of a, a, trying to celebrate, you know, this is life, this is really cool, yeah, yeah, whereas yeah. a lot of it nowadays is just, we're all doomed. Yeah, 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 <laughs> or, trying to, or trying to introduce a narrative to it to compete with blockbuster films, you know, so you yes. watch Planet Earth 2 now, and, I mean, they're great sequences, but that famous sequence of the snakes chasing the baby iguana as it's trying yeah. to run to the ocean, and it is. I mean, it's like the best action movie you've ever yeah. seen, yeah. but it's very different to the... The reason I started watching this, it was... Um, mid-COVID and I was not mentally well Uh, and I kept putting on nature to try and calm myself down and it was just so 4K in your face. (laughs) And so I went to this just on a whim and just the way it eases you in and making you sit with the wonder and actually giving you time to breathe and go, oh, whoa. It's almost meditative. Yeah, Yeah, it it is. I think you're right. I think it is almost meditative and, you know, it's nice to go back to a simpler time, mm-hmm. to, for want of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dr. Matt Padula, thank you so much, sir. Oh, this was fun. Awesome. I really enjoyed this. Thank you once again to my incredible guest, Dr. Matt Padula, and to the incomparable Sean Allen for his music and sound effects. Thank you.